Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening and God bless. Our scripture passage for today comes from Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the sky. They don't sow seed or harvest grain or gather crops into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than they are? Who among you by worrying can add a single moment to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? Notice how the lilies in the field grow. They don't wear themselves out with work, and they don't spin cloth. But I say to you that even Solomon in all of his splendor wasn't dressed like one of these. If God dresses grass in the field so beautifully, even though it's alive today and tomorrow it's thrown into the furnace, won't God do much more for you, you people of weak faith? Therefore, don't worry and say, what are we going to eat, or what are we going to drink, or what are we going to wear? Gentiles long for all these things. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. Instead, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, stop worrying about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. May God bless our understanding of this scripture. Good morning. Hi. I'm Erin James Brown. Uh, I'm the Director of Discipleship for Urban Village Church. Um, And Emily... Uh, McGinley, uh, the site pastor here at Urban Village Church Hyde Park, is not here. Um, She is performing a wedding for Laura and Katie, some of our community members here, so they are celebrating elsewhere. And so when the cat is away, the mice will play. So today we're going to do something a little weird and a little different, and you're just going to go with me, right? Yeah. It's also going to make some of you feel a little nervous and a little uncomfortable, and that's okay. But we're going to take this morning, and it's going to be a little more like a preaching, uh, uh, a community workshop type thing. Are you ready for that? So what we're going to do, I'm going to ask you, if you're sitting on this side of the room, to get up and to come to this side of the room, and we're going to sit in a circle. We're actually going to move the chairs and face, I know, I know, it's weird, take a breath, There's a, tomorrow has enough to worry about for itself, so get up and move the chairs into a circle, we're going to be around the communion table right here, you ready? Okay, LV will sing us into that circle. I think that's good, yeah. This is awesome. You all are so flexible and uh, inviting. Our reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew this morning, and I was rereading through the story of Matthew. And um, 
Matthew begins with a birth announcement, but it is not like your typical birth announcement. Um, Jesus' birth announcement is actually pretty scandalous and also pretty boring. Uh, you wouldn't know this by looking at the text, but it's just a list of a bunch of names. It starts stretching all the way back to Abraham, all the way to David, includes names that you would never find in a baby naming book like Zerubbabel or Eliezer. Joel and I are thinking about having a child, and Zerubbabel is the top on the list. All the way to Joseph. But don't be fooled by this non-traditional non-traditional opposite of like a naked baby caressing its head on a white pillow of a birth announcement. This uh, Jesus, the baby in the gospel of Jesus is Matthew comes out of the womb with a political, as a political and religious figure. This birth announcement is fighting words. His heritage is not of like this purebred Jewish man, but he is a mixture of non-Jewish lineage, a mixture of sexually questionable women, a mixture of national authorities and lower and middle class folks, a mixture of sexual abusers and the sexually abused. So Jesus' birth announcement is neither traditional nor is it just a blip on the radar screen but it is a monumental moment in history. Jesus' birth announcement at the beginning of Matthew is a claim for you to saddle up your horses. That's what we say in Texas, but you might just know it as get ready, put your shoes on, hold on to your seat because the stuff is about to get real, y'all. Jesus is actually the one for whom the world has waited. Jesus enters onto the scene and is announced as the God with us. Jesus is the one in whom God is pleased, the one who casts out nets and draws in communities of people. Jesus is the one who brings the people who are pushed to the margins of society, the outcast of the community, the questionable and the unsafe, and restores their dignity. He restores their rightful place to belonging. Because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is God with a body on. We meet Jesus as he preaches a lengthy sermon on the side of a mountain. And scholars don't believe that Jesus was this really gregarious person and people were able to sit for a long amount of time without yawning or falling asleep or uh, getting bored. But they believe that the gospel writer piles all of these sayings of Jesus that were from all different places around his ministry into this one opening sermon to display this is what Jesus, the bodily God, is all about. And what does the gospel writer want us to know about Jesus? I'll tell you, don't worry. For starters, Jesus establishes a lot of rules. Most of his statements that begin in this full sermon begin with, do not. We didn't read that this morning, but if you go back and reread, it starts with, do not. Do not be overpowered by anger. Do not make promises that you cannot keep. Do not smack someone over the head, even if they really deserve it. Do not have resting bitch face. Do not have weird collectibles like Beanie Babies because that's just creepy. And do not enjoy sex. Okay, so maybe I embellish some of those. But 
all the sentiments are true. Just kidding. I get a little wound tight when I read through Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew because he's always telling people what to do and how to do it. And so I just call him the mansplaining Messiah of Matthew because who does he think he is telling me what to do and how to do it and how to enjoy it? He just throws all these unrequested opinions at me about everything. And I want to say, hold up, wait a minute. But the Gospel writer doesn't listen to me and continues on and puts in Jesus' mouth these unhelpful words. Unhelpful words, I think, about anxiety. Because what you might not know is I have, uh, I am diagnosed with clinical anxiety. I take medicine for it, and that's why I can sit in front of you today as a fully functioning human being. But these words from Jesus, when I am in the deep and dark depths of my anxiety, are super annoying. He says, if you don't have the basic necessities for life, if you cannot feed your family, if your water is contaminated by lead from the government's irresponsibility and abuse of its citizens, if you are made fun of and bullied for what you wear, Jesus says, don't worry, don't worry about it. If you lost your job, if you missed a payment or several payments, if an unknown number creeps across your screen and your stomach drops because you assume it's a creditor calling, don't worry. It's going to be fine. If the developers and city planners and alder people allow a bougie grocery store to move into your neighborhood, causing your rent to spike and forcing you to relocate yet again, Jesus says, don't worry. Tomorrow, that tomorrow, she's the worst. Tomorrow is going to be another day with more troubles. So don't worry, you of little faith. Don't worry, because worry means you have little faith. Don't worry. Jesus is a dick sometimes. I have several friends. <clears throat> I don't say this to brag, but although I am hilarious and beautiful, I have several friends. And because I'm hilarious and beautiful, my friends have been around for a while. I met them in puberty. They have lasted and grown deeper, these friendships, during college. These friendships have expanded across long distances, and they persist, actually. These friends, I've tried to get rid of them sometimes, but they just keep coming back. They're relentless. Even though I want to get rid of them or avoid them, they have been with me for a long time and I trust they will be with me for a long time. And I should clarify, these friends are my stretch marks. These friends on my outside and inner thighs are the map of my life. They mark my, my story of weight loss and weight gain and the journey of a lifetime. They are dark and worn from the stress of our long journey together. And they join some of them together in mutual friendship on my body. They remind me of these times in my life, some horrific, like the time I was at the store with my dad after a large growth spurt and I bent over and my pants ripped from the like top seam all the way to the bottom of my knee. And my dad just said, we have to keep shopping. <laughs> 
or they remind me of the time when I broke up with my boyfriend and then I regretted it and so I gained a lot of weight and then I thought, I could get him back. So I lost a lot of weight and then I flirted with him and it made him break up with a girl he had started dating after me. They remind me of joys too in my life. They remind me that someday, someday I might be pregnant and there will be more friends showing up in lots of weird places. I hope that my body one day is just a stripe stretching from my breasts all the way around my stomach to my butt and thighs. I wanna be like a beautiful zebra walking through the wild. These are friends, my stretch marks, but they have not always been so because Lord knows I bought me a lot of Palmer's butter to rub all over them. We're starting a new sermon series today. It's called Worth. Uh, we're talking about personal values and commitment and how we spend our money and find value in our time and our financial things and how we use our energy. Do all of those things align with what we think is worthy or valuable? But before we talk about value, before we talk about what things are worth, it is essential that we pause that we pump the brakes just a little bit and assess the value and worth we have of ourselves. Do we spend our time, do we sometimes spend our financial resources, our energy, to show that we value us, ourselves, our bodies, who we are? Jesus preaches to this crowd, a bunch of people struggling to make ends meet, a bunch of people trying to care for their families. They're probably not super wealthy folks. He preaches to these lonely and ostracized and overly criticized people, and his words are not meant to be read as I kind of sarcastically did earlier, like passive bombs to be placed on their wounds. His words are not meant to be platitudes for the brokenhearted or the broken in spirit or the bent over in body. Instead, Jesus preaches to a bunch of people who are tired, and his words are meant to be good to the soul. These people probably possessed maybe a little in earthly uh, or material wealth, and he says to them, don't store up treasures on earth. And it's not like Jesus doesn't know his audience. I fully believe Jesus knew who he was talking to. But we have to read more deeply into the text to understand what he's talking about. We have to queer the text just a little bit to understand what Jesus is trying to say and what God values about the life. Jesus says, the things that the world treasures is not what God values. The world might find white bodies valuable, the world finds able bodies valuable, the world finds fit bodies valuable, the world finds acne-free bodies valuable, the world finds stretch mark and scar-free bodies valuable, the world values cisgender bodies and gender-conforming bodies, but Jesus says, instead, find worth in your individual body. Treasure the things that the outside messages of the world may not, but value, find things of value in which God finds the most significant. So this morning's passage about what you shall wear and what you shall eat and what you shall drink is less about uh, 
platitudes to those who just lost their jobs, don't worry, and more about finding your own inherent beauty. Jesus preaches to the people and says, don't let those messages of the world lie to you and say that you are worth less than you are because child, look at the birds of the air. They are covered in intricate feathers that provide the fowl with balance and aerodynamics and water resistance. These birds are tiny and yet they are miracles of life. And then, and then look at the lilies of the field. They are like a mixture of hues, dark and rich in color and texture. Some are light and effervescent in spirit. God creates these flowers with such creativity and care, and each one is different from the next. And these flowers are so small. How much more does God care for the rich color of your skin or my skin? How much more does God care for the deep scars on my hand that will not go away? How much more does God care for the clogged pores on your face? And the grass, the grass that grows in the field which stokes the fires, that helps them bake bread. If you value your own body, your own self-worth as much as the birds and the flowers and the resources of the earth when you stop, Stop and acknowledge them. How much more can God find value and worth in you as a created being? Do you value yourself the way God values you? The clue in this message, it's a spoiler alert, is that in all of Jesus' messages, actually, it's not an admonition of the little faith, you of little faith. That's not the point of this passage. We can't obsess about that. But it's And it's not the fact that it's surrounded by lists of do's and don'ts like I led with earlier. The important and key message of Jesus is, and at all times is this repetitive phrase he uses, strive first for the kingdom of God. And that sounds like churchy, high language, but seriously, when Jesus just speaks plain, when Jesus sometimes needs a translator, uh, he's saying, look for God in creation around you and look for God in your body. Strive to find it. Sometimes you have to squint, but take time to take it in. And once you've caught a glimpse of it, Acknowledge it in others around you. Acknowledge it in the queendom that exists throughout the earth. Ripe the crust away from your eyes. Take that cynical voice out of your head and silence it. Because the choir of angels will begin to swell and sing, You are strong, girl. You are beautiful. And you are fierce. So my spouse isn't here today. Um, he's probably going to listen to the podcast because I'm going to force him. Hi, honey. Um, I bring up my spouse often in conversation, usually for two reasons. One, because our relationship is probably really unhealthy and annoying. And secondly, because I like to be the center of attention and he's easy to make fun of. So uh, here he is. I'm pulling him into the room. My spouse and I have been married We've been together for eight years, and for the last eight years, on a daily basis, every day, I go to my spouse and I say, tell me something you love about me. 
Now, in the beginning, this was like really romantic and fun, and now it just seems really, really needy because sometimes I asked it multiple times throughout a day, like on a really hard day. He'll say something, and it doesn't sound right, so I say again, tell me something you love about me. It's because this is what I need to like survive, right? I need someone feeding me good messages, but also it's because sometimes he just says dumb stuff, like... I love your elbows. It's like he just looks at the first thing he sees and says he loves that, and it's not good enough. So let me just let you in on a little hint. After eight years of being together, I've learned I know what I want him to say to me. So I've just told him, honey, you can say just three things to me. It doesn't matter what order you say them in. It doesn't matter if you mean it. I just need you when I ask you this to say one or all of these three things. I say, tell me something you love about me. And all you have to say is, you are strong, you are beautiful, and you are fierce. Because there are messages in this world that try to tear me down and tell me I am not strong, I am not fierce, or I am not beautiful. And I need someone else to breathe those words over me, breathe life back into me. I can tell myself those words all day long, but I need someone on the outside to remind me, to just reflect back to me what God sees in me. And so, this is how my husband embodies God in my life and in our marriage sometimes, is he is that spirit that breathes into me that says, don't worry. You are more beautiful than the lilies of the field. Don't worry. You are more strong than the albatross, that huge bird that flaps through the wind don't worry, you are fierce. No one can stop you. It doesn't matter if your body is covered in stretch marks. It doesn't matter if your, your wrists are too limp. It doesn't matter if you, your brain chemistry makes you seem a little too crazy. It doesn't matter if your boobs are too big or too little or too saggy. It doesn't matter. Because I am reminded that I am strong, I am beautiful, and I am fierce. And those words are like clothes that I wrap around me and snuggle. It's like a big snuggie I just pull in. We know it is true that our bodies matter because Jesus put a body on but we also know that this world is violent and wants to tear apart our bodies and tell us that they are not strong, that they are not beautiful, that they are not fierce because we saw them do it to our Christ and to our Lord. And we know, you know, that as you walk down the streets of Chicago, you see signs and you don't see your face in the signs or the models. You feel the pressure because there are videos coming out about uh, presidential candidates talking about big parts of women's bodies. There are signs in our society that bodies are not valued, yours and mine. But we know that God came to this earth not looking like Chris Helmsworth, like a Roman god, like rippling biceps and uh, covered in steel. Does anybody know who Chris Helmsworth is? Girl. I know you know and nobody said anything. Let's just stop. Jesus chose not to come like Chris Helmsworth? What was he thinking? No, Jesus entered into this world a baby. A little baby that probably had, uh, what's, 
Lena, what's the thing that you get, the cap? Cradle cap. Jesus probably had tons of that. Jesus also entered in, let's be honest, with not white skin. Jesus wasn't white. Jesus came in with dark skin that illuminated the night. It was beautiful. Jesus came with hair. Maybe Jesus lost some hair. Jesus entered into a world where these cultures were trying to tear down people. He entered creation not as a white man, not as a rich man, but as a baby with no money to a mom who wasn't married yet. So Matthew's gospel tells us that Jesus first began to, by, before this message even starts, he goes around touching people's bodies, healing their diseases, opening their eyes and awakening them. Jesus cared so deeply about their bodies. The people who were not supposed to be touched, he would touch them and hug them and kiss them and love them. He would tell them that they were not bad or weird or not good enough, but that they were blessed and restored into community. So let's remember, friends, that it's important for us to find value in ourselves and find worth in who we are because there are so many messages out there that want to tell us we are not of value or not of worth. Practicing saying that your body is good is a dangerous practice. I'm just going to warn you. Um, there are powers and principalities that will try to continually tear you apart, to keep you down, to prevent you from celebrating your unique identity. But it is super important for you to let your freak flag fly, to acknowledge the dignity within yourself, your, imp your worth, because it can change things too if all of us decide to value ourselves. When we welcome in the diversity of voices and experiences, because we're all different, the value of what is beautiful and fierce and strong will change. It creates the complexity of creation and means that we will then continue this creation narrative of creating something new out of chaos, something new out of what once was. Looking at someone else, though, it requires us doing this for each other, too, much like my spouse does for me. We cannot do this work alone, valuing our bodies. We have to turn to each other and value each other in the same way. So looking at others, whether it's across the circle, which is really awkward. Is anybody feeling awkward? No? Okay. You can, you can admit it. <laughs> looking at the stranger and demanding not to be a stranger transforms our worldviews. It renews structures and breathes new life into our cultures that beat us to death. Not just valuing or acknowledging the worth of ourselves and others, but cherishing others helps bones to rise up and dance, causes blind eyes to see new things, and causes those who were once dead to rise to newness of life. So it's dangerous work that we do valuing our bodies and the bodies of others. We're going to do another weird thing. Those of you who walked in, thanks for coming into this weird space with us. Um, I surprised the whole congregation with this, so welcome. But I want you to sit up tall. Place your feet on the floor. Feel rooted to the earth. 
open your hands, uh, place them on your thighs, and lift them up as if something was going to be placed in your hands, pouring into you. Close your eyes and take in a deep breath and repeat after me, I am strong and God loves me. I am beautiful and God loves me. I am fierce and God loves me. I am strong and God loves me. I am beautiful and God loves me. I am fierce, and God loves me. I am worthy, and God loves me. We are worthy, and God loves us. We do not worry, because we know our God loves us. I invite you now, with eyes closed, to wrap your hands around your body, as if you're, like, giving yourself a tight hug. This is a posture of love and care and embrace. Feel the weight of your arms sink on your chest and hold tight. God, we will not worry. We will not worry if we have all the right degrees and credentials. We will not worry what the bullies say, although it hurts so deeply. We will not worry whether we look or act or sound like what is deemed as right. For we know that you, God, take care growing the yolk of the egg into a bird, coaxing the seedling from the ground to open into a magnificent flower. You, God, take care to curl the baby's ear. So you, God, also care deeply for creation. We choose not to let the messages of our world lie to us or steal and rob us of our dignity or to tell us that we are less or lacking. We hold our bodies and hug tightly to the purpose and power with which you see in us. May we see ourselves the way you see us, as enough, as beautiful, as fierce, and as worthy. And so I invite you now, friends, to open up your arms, to place your hand on the person next to you on their shoulder or some other holy place. <laughs> Let's, uh, yeah, you got it. Feel the warmth of the other person's body. Feel it heating up your palm. Feel possibly their shoulders rise and fall as they take in deep breaths. God, may we see our brothers and sisters and gender non-conforming siblings as strong and beautiful and fierce and worthy in their particularities. They may not be the same as ours, but may we see them and value them. May we have the courage to speak and repeat these words to them, even when we are not prompted or asked, because we know this journey can be hard and lonely. And then I invite you, friends, to take your hands and put them over your heart. This is a posture of devotion. We say, we are your people and you are your, our God. We are yours. Amen. <laughs>